Hey there, just jumping in at the top of the podcast here. As this is the first in our quarantine edition series, I just thought I'd jump on at the top and let you know what we're doing. I was stranded in Melbourne, as many of you know, and in that time, we had some pretty crazy restrictions. 8pm curfew, not allowed out of the house for more than an hour a day, restricted travel outside of a five kilometre radius. So it was a pretty tough time all round. And as a result of that, just decided something fun to do would be to watch some movies with some friends, record it for the podcast because I was a little rusty and thought it would be fun. So I'm releasing this episode today ahead of the vice presidential debate because honestly, the last one was a shit show and I just thought that maybe it would be nice to have something fun to listen to about politics. So I really hope that you enjoy this and look out for the rest of the series. Smith Goes to Washington is a significant picture. It is significant because it emphasizes democracy in action. Welcome back to another week of Beers, Beats and Battlestar Galactica, where we usually talk about the sci-fi original series Battlestar Galactica, episode by episode, but in this very special lockdown series, we're talking about movies. And today I'm joined by the lovely Teresa. Hello, hello. And we are going to talk about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is like more Battlestar than I thought it would be, honestly. I I have Battlestar theme notes to talk about. And I am drinking a Bonehead Brew Beer, which was one of my thematic beers, which is a wheat beer, which is not my usual vibe. Um, Brewed in Australia from Victoria. What you drinking? I'm drinking a Fog City Cloudy Cider and... Theme-wise, it's called Shut Up Government. And then the rest of the comment is, of course, it's a yes to gay marriage. But I just think the first part is very applicable to any time of the year. It's very applicable. So do you want to let us know why you chose this movie specifically? I love Mr. Smith Goes to Washington because it is one of the rare movies or TV shows where politicians are good. And I think in this time... Singular politician is good, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, true. But sure. <laughs> sure. The one time, the one time <laughs> in the history of the world. And I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. And I also think that a lot of these old movies are undiscovered by the modern generations and need to be brought forth to the light. I had certainly never seen it. And it's super American, which so I can kind of understand... I feel like this is a movie that's more in the American mind than the Australian mind. But yeah, it was really interesting to watch. It's been it's been a minute since I saw a black and white film as well. Exactly. Well, and this one I didn't realize till someone pointed out was actually made in 1939, which is the same year as Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's wild. So that's that's a long time ago. And it's so relevant mm-hmm. for an 80-year-old movie. I was just like, like the end of my notes is just like, it's been 80 freaking years. How are these problems still so relevant? It's wild. Yeah, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So Yeah, absolutely. Or if you want to do the Battlestar Galactica kind of motif, all of this has happened before Ooh. and all of it will happen again. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm. It'd be interesting to see what BSG stuff you can uh, 
do parallels with. I can't wait. Ah, I can BSG parallel with everything. All right. So seeing as this is your movie, do you want to take us through a little bit of a beat by beat? No, like it doesn't have to be so specific. You can just take us through the main storyline. Absolutely. So this, for those of you who don't know, stars Jimmy Stewart at who I think is the, the hottest that he's ever been in any film. He plays a character called Jefferson Smith, hence the name of the title. Um, there's another guy, Senator Joseph Payne, who is played by Claude Rains, who some of you will recognize. I mean, all, all the people in this movie, from character actors up, you have probably seen in different films over the years. I love that. Frank Capra really enjoyed recycling some of his actors. Um, so basically, there's a scandal. There's a political scandal that's happening in an unknown, unnamed U.S. State. So that's something I absolutely love throughout the entire movie. No one actually says where the state is. They never give it a name, but it's very much out west. It's like the somewhere. Simpsons, yeah? Yeah, well, exactly. There's I'm from <laughs> Illinois. So, you know, there's a Springfield, that's our capital. Mm-hmm. So we like to think it's in Illinois. People in Missouri think it's there. So this political boss basically has Senator Payne in his pocket. And right at the beginning, they they sort of set the scene of there's a lot of graft. And that's a word we don't hear very much anymore, but it's corruption. So they want to make a dam somewhere. And they a senator who's in power, and you have two senators from each state, one of the senators dies. At this point, Senator Payne, he's a senior senator, he wants a replacement senator who can help him push through this dam. And they have the governor who can appoint it. And there's, I mean, it, it's... It's quite fun. It's quite fast paced at the beginning. You kind of don't, mm. it, it's quite complex. But in a nutshell, they try to appoint someone. The governor doesn't like it. He talks to his children. And they, all eight of them, around the dinner table. So many freaking children. It's wild. And there's so much more opinionated than I thought children in the 30s were allowed to yes. be. Yes. They demand, <laughs> they demand that their dad nominate Jefferson Smith. And he's like, who the hell is this? Well, Jeff Smith is the leader of the Boy Rangers, which is a Boy Scout-esque young boys troop. And as they point out, he quotes Jefferson, he quotes Lincoln. He's the ultimate patriot. There you go, Jefferson Smith. So he gets appointed and he's this wide-eyed, impressionable young Westerner who does not fit into Washington, D.C. The second he shows up, you can tell he has he has crates of pigeons. Who brings pigeons to Washington D.C. on a two-day train journey? So he's met at the at the train by Senator Payne's beautiful, glamorous daughter, and you know everyone is holding these boxes of pigeons that he wants to then fly back to his western state. So he's he's the yokel. He's the wide-eyed young yokel. And right at the beginning, he is. In a way, he reminded me a lot of when um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. when she got elected, she was like Instagramming everything and going, oh my God, this is the Capitol building and I'm, I'm on the bus going to the Capitol and here's what's happening. He does the same thing in a 1939 style where he gets so excited about seeing the, the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial that he just instantly takes off. He um, just sort of wanders the streets. He does a big tour. He He's on a bus, on a sightseeing bus. I love the um, the when they're in the train station 
And he's like, oh my God, there's the Capitol. And I remember like seeing that when I first went to Washington DC, which was just last year and being like, wow, this is just so cool. Um, but definitely being from like, I didn't see the Australian state Capitol until, I don't know, my, my late twenties. Like, I think that a lot of people who are in political circles take these things for granted because, um, they travel so frequently. And I often think about this, like when I was younger, like a trip to Sydney from Adelaide was a huge deal, like huge deal. And then now it's just like, people are like, oh yeah, I just work between Melbourne and Sydney. And it's like not a big deal at all. Yeah. And it, and it just, it really reminded me of like the difference of like where I came from and where I am now, you know? Well, I mean, growing up in the US, going to Washington DC is kind of part of a, a rite of passage. And my junior high, usually do it when you're um, before high school, my junior high was was one of the poorer ones, so we only went to our state capital, whereas <laughs> other kids that I went to high school with, their much more well-to-do school district, they took them to Washington, D.C. So when my mom's friend found out that my brother and I hadn't been to D.C., she actually convinced my mom to do this little road trip, and we went and stayed with her daughter. But she found it very important that my twin brother and I experience seeing the capital at a, an impressionable young age, you know, yeah, full indoctrination into the the cult of American democracy. What this this the country that says the pledge of allegiance every day? That's not a cult. That's not cult behavior. Oh god! I one time was marching in a parade uh, with a girlfriend. She was holding the state flag of Illinois. I was holding the the U.S. flag, and we got tired and decided to switch flags. And oh my Lord, the moment when the U.S. flag brushed the ground, there was an Whoa. audible gasp, the audible gasp from the crowd. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, you can see we're, we're not doing this on purpose. <laughs> we're not burning it or desecrating it. Exactly. We're just swapping. Yeah. Wow. Was, okay. That was the moment. Right. Mm. Back to the movie. So Jefferson Smith is... This, as I said before, a very naive young senator. And then we have the opposite of him, mm -hmm. Saunders. Saunders is waiting for Jefferson Smith in his new office. So she is secretary. She's risen through the ranks. She knows everyone, everything. She knows that she is the ultimate political insider. She should be the protagonist of this movie. Yes. Is all I'm saying. Justice for Miss Saunders. I was like, fuck this. This is the whole like behind every man is yeah. a good woman bullshit that is like, she does everything. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. It's going to be like, what happens if Joe Biden gets elected president? It's just going to be like Jill Biden and Kamala Harris in the background being like, Joe, Joe, yeah. <laughs> do these things. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, fuck. Well, I mean, but in that, I mean, but Jefferson Smith, I think a little bit better than Biden. Okay. <laughs> Tiny you're bit, right, you're tiny right. bit better. Jefferson Smith, yeah, I mean, he hasn't been like, um, yeah, yeah. Give him 50 years. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so she is played by Jean Arthur, and it, I think one of the best roles. When when we talk about like screwball comedies and stuff, everybody's always talking about, um, you know, His Girl Friday, those kind of movies. But this is, this is Frank Capra at his best. So Frank Capra did It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. And my brother took a film class at university. He came back, and I'll always remember this phrase, people called it Capricorn. <laughs> That's 
Capra corn. No, no, Capra, Capra <laughs> corn. Um, because Frank Capra can be a little bit over the top and mm-hmm. a little bit corny, a little bit heavy handed. But I, I'm a huge fan of his film. I mean, BSG can also be a little bit heavy handed at times. Yeah. You know, when they get the network notes that say like, hey, people won't get this. <laughs> Ronald D. Moore's like, I think they'll get it. And they're like, no, spell it out. <laughs> Completely. Like, okay, get it. Yeah. Yeah. So every, what you see is what you get with this movie. There's no hidden agenda. What's so fun about it is watching this impressionable young man get uh, wounded and defeated (laughs) throughout the film. And there's a scene where he just goes around punching people. Yeah. So it is that I wanted to talk a little bit more about, but basically let me just finish the plot really, really fast. So he wants to start a boys camp. That's his primary goal in life. He gets to DC he teams up with Saunders. She knows all of the ins and outs of the fact that this other senator wanted to make a dam. Interesting thing is, it's the exact same spot of land. So she is kind of playing games with people. She's the mastermind. And she helps Jefferson Smith create a bill. And he then says the magic words of where the dam is going to be, Willett Creek. And then the other Senator, Senator Payne, freaks out. And so the rest of the movie is this conflict. It's Legally Blonde too. Yeah. I was watching the end and I was like, this is Legally Blonde too. Yeah. They have totally copied Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. There you go. They like have a different beginning, but like it ends up in the same place. Pretty exactly much. the same place. I don't remember Legally Blonde 2 as well as I do Legally Blonde 1. Okay. So basically all that happens is Elwood's like, she wants to go to Washington because she wants to change a bill about getting her dog's mum back from a cosmetic service. Uh, anyway, that's the beginning bit. That's different from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, although all of the Washington scenes are also in it because, of course, it's yeah. like propaganda. Yeah. And then, yeah, she like she has this mentor and then it turns out that the bill is going to interfere with like the mentors, backers, and then she goes against Elle. And then mm-hmm. like the minority character, which is Regina King in this in this uh, movie, is the one who can't, who like knows the most but gets no recognition. So it's sort of like the white feminist version of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington circa early 2000s. And then it ends exactly the same way. Like it's like she like stands up, except that it's a lot more like, I don't know, women dancing in the <laughs> floor of the – because of course. And um, – and obviously there's a whole big like hair care products part because it's, you know, a Legally Blonde movie. But it's basically the same. I was watching the end and I was like, this is the same film. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's the outsider coming in and trying to change the system, realizing the system is in some ways too big for one person to do it. They have to enlist the help and take the credit of the insiders with the knowledge of how things really work and then ultimately come out triumphant. And in this case, he puts up this bill. He eventually realizes that the other senator is corrupt. And and this this is a man who he has looked up to his entire life. And who tells him he's like a son to him. Yes. Because the scene before. He's like, you are like a son to me. Well, he was friends with, with uh, Jefferson Smith's dad. And to to then watch you know him become heartbroken over this, as only Jimmy Stewart can, it's, it's very sad watching him just be absolutely shattered. 
And I did have tears in my eyes a couple of times. Um, he really, really loves Abraham Lincoln. I do too. He cries yeah. in the film, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. I did not expect that from a movie of this era. I didn't expect a man to be crying on film. Mm. And when he needs solace, he'll go to the Lincoln Memorial and he'll read he'll read the Gettysburg Address, which is one of the best pieces of writing that that I can think of in modern times. And and it is so moving. I remember when I was there seeing it. Um, there's Lincoln is amazing. Can we? Yeah, I, I hope that we do not find out anything about Abraham Lincoln. I do not want him to be a problematic fave. Was he a slave owner? No. Wasn't he a slave owner? <laughs> Are you sure? He he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. He was super anti-slave. He was. Oh, okay. He was from. He was born in Kentucky, but we claim him in Illinois, land of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Got mm-hmm. his um, political career career there, and no, very, very. Um, I know there are anti- only like three or four people from that time who were not slave owners in politics. Mm. I just don't know who they are. So hopefully he's one of them. Yeah. I mean, in in general, Northerners didn't own slaves. It was, it wasn't legal. So if you're, if you're in the North, you wouldn't have like some of the, like Ulysses S. Grant, he was a post-Civil War president. He, Mm. he would not have owned slaves either. I don't think, don't quote me, but because he was from Illinois, which wasn't a legal slave state. So highly unlikely, especially the the further North you get. Mm. So Jefferson Smith goes to Lincoln Memorial. He is distraught. He need he's about he's about to leave and then Clarissa hit Saunders that's her actual name um she goes and finds him she has a, a cunning plan and she drags him back and he eventually does a filibuster and this is the I, can I say just quickly yeah he pulls out a thermos and a bunch of fruit and I was like my guy so adorable. I just love it. Uh, the preparation. I also love Miss Saunders, who's like, let him speak. Yes. <laughs> She's in the peanut gallery. And she, uh, yeah, I mean, really the movie is her, isn't it? She, mm. She's the one who comes up with everything from the first bill to, you know, how to ride it through. So he filibusters for like two days. And this is the climatic, pivotal part of the movie is watching him Basically, the whole point, he's trying to filibuster in order to buy enough time to get public opinion back home in the unnamed state on his side. So he's telling the truth. He's telling it like it is, hoping that the citizens back home will put enough pressure on the political machine, which then doesn't work. They don't find out what's happening because the political machine are the people who own all the newspapers. So they're printing the wrong stuff. They're printing really horrible headlines. They're misquoting him. Eventually, the newspaper that he founded for the Boy Rangers, they start printing the truth. And then the children of a revolution! I was so excited by this. I was like, holy shit! The kids! They're uprising! And they still need to! And it sucks! Yeah. Why do the kids know better? Oh my god. The young Sorry. people go and do it. So They do! It's so good. And it's such a contrast. The the political machines, newspapers are three stories tall. You see the newsprint with all the lies about Jefferson Smith. Meanwhile, you see the boys hand putting together all the type and printing it on this very old machine from the 1800s probably. And then they're tying it together with string and taking their little bicycles around. And I, 
it gets, I mean, Capra doesn't shy away from stuff being dark. I mean, uh, there's a moment where there's a, a car full of boys and young teens, you know, old enough to drive and they're honking the horn and shouting pro Jefferson Smith things. And they get run off the road and rammed by a massive van and to the point where it's absolutely shocking that these children are being um, harmed like this. And then there's one throwaway line of like, oh, and kids are in the hospital. And it's like, no, they would have died. There would definitely have been a death with the way you shot that. It was a really horrific moment. Which is again, just like so relevant to now. Mm -hmm. It's just like, and we are so fortunate that we have more avenues to share stories. But if you think about where you're getting a lot of the stories in the first place, especially around like, like, for example, all of the black men that just were found being hung in America. Sorry, I should have probably done a bit of a warning before saying that, but um, you would never have heard about that from the mm-hmm. mainstream news. Mm-hmm. And there's still the narrative that like they were all suicides, but I'm sorry, I just... Given the statistics of how people usually kill themselves and given the history of black people being lynched in America, I just yeah. don't buy it that there's just happened to be all of these hangings. Yeah, somewhere. on a tree, strung up on mm. a tree. Because, of course, a that's... Specifically a tree. Cause exactly. People, people tend to commit suicide within the home, not yeah. in a public yeah. park. And if you're an African-American with a history of lynchings, you probably would, would avoid uh, hanging yourself off of a tree. Just, <laughs> yeah, right. On that, plenty of yeah. other places to commit suicide. Um, yeah, yeah. And- On that note, I just want to um, introduce my second beer before I start drinking it, which is a Grifter, Big Sir Grifter, West Coast IPA from New South Wales, from Marrickville. Oh, very nice. Well, my yeah. second beer that I have here is the Bad Shepherd Brewing uh, Peanut Butter Porter because I can't think of Woo. anything more American. And this is from your neck of the woods down in Victoria. Oh my goodness. So I've got a New South Wales, you've got a Victoria. How Aww. beautiful. Aww. So cute. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're pretty much at the end of the movie where Jefferson Smith is filibustering. He isn't getting the word out. The political bosses, Senator Payne, have this moment where they get all these letters and telegrams from people and they get permission to bring it into the Senate chamber. And there's just piles and piles, like bushel baskets worth of letters. And he gets very excited. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's my supporters. People know what's happening. They're they're against this dam. They're against the political machine. They're against graft. And he starts reading them and then sees that there are all these people who hate him because they've been told all these lies. And he, mm. he just is devastated. And Senator Payne is watching and listening. And you suddenly... Um, <laughs> Hear a couple of gunshots, speaking yeah, of suicide, yeah. as he tries to off himself out of guilt. They then wrestle the gun from him. He runs into the chamber. He confesses everything. I can't remember at this point if if Jefferson Smith had already fainted from exhaustion. It was before or after, but it's right at the same time. Mm. He's fainted. He's unconscious. Senator Payne comes and confesses all. And... Boom, movie's over. Yeah. You also miss the part where she sends him a little love note. And, it says, and then it says, P.S., Diz says I'm in love with you. And I was like, and t- tells him to read the Constitution, which I thought was great. And when he says, I'm going to read the, he says, like, page one. And everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't believe. Yes. 
this yes. guy's doing and, this. And it's shot, there's a lot of very clever, cute shots in this movie where she sends a note and you can see his thumb holding this this letter and it says Diz, her, her friend, says I'm in love with you. And then he moves his thumb and then it says he's right. Aww. And it's just yeah, adorable. Yeah, it's really cute. Well, what I liked about their love story is that initially he is blown away by the daughter of Senator Payne. She's this glamorous woman that he has never encountered before in his life. And there's this really cute scene where he goes to, he goes to their house. She's talking to him and he's holding his hat. And there's just close-ups of him. It's just his hands holding the hat. And then he drops the hat, picks the hat up, puts the hat behind his back, drops his hat, picks the hat <laughs> back up, is shaking with the hat. And then eventually she's like, do you want to like let me hold the hat or put the hat down? And he... He just has a huge, huge, huge crush on her and everyone's kind of making fun of him. Meanwhile, there's Saunders, the practical, um, you know, no-nonsense person. He's not afraid of her at all. He thinks she's really amazing. He tells her so, how great she is. She's never had a true compliment in her life doesn't even know how to handle this. And then he says, oh, I'm going to get my mom to send you some, some preserves, some jam. Oh, my God. I have this here. It's like... <laughs> I was like, is he trying to woo her with preserves? Is this what's going on? Because it was like a line. He's like, oh, my mom would love you. I, she'll send you preserves. And yeah. Like, Ooh. Wow, Ooh. what a line. To be fair, I would I would be down for that. Absolutely. If anybody wants to send me preserves, let me know. Well, and that is what gets her to kind of come back because she had oh. left uh, Washington, D.C., then gets this magic jar of strawberry jam. So nice. So adorable and so then eventually he realizes that he he has a thing for her for clarissa she doesn't want to tell him her name uh which i found funny because it's not that weird of a name at all but yet she somehow thinks it's maybe it was in 1939 but i think we've come a long way as far as what what a name can be i mean if we haven't progressed on anything else lisa (laughs) we now have more name variety and Spellings of names. So. Well, I mean, I'm I'm an example of that, aren't there I? So, so if you want to hear how I relate this to Battlestar Galactica, yes, please. Um, something that I've been thinking a lot about recently because I've been re-watching because obviously watch with the podcast was my first time, so I've been revisiting Battlestar Galactica, particularly because people have been sharing a lot of articles about how it's like the perfect viewing for the pandemic, mm-hmm. which I think is true, is just the idea of someone being thrust into leadership and how different those leaders are compared to the leaders that we have who are career politicians. They care about, they want to be somebody, right? And mm-hmm. and the people who want to be somebody are probably not the best people to be leading us. The people who are thrust into leadership positions, and this is this is a reason why I really liked Elizabeth Warren. Well, I still like Elizabeth Warren, yeah. but why I liked her as a presidential candidate because I felt like she was somebody who had a really great career and then she did some really great work and then everyone was like, hey, you should run for president. And mm. she was like, fuck yeah, I'll do that. Like she, she just felt like someone who who wasn't a career politician and sort of like saw uh, an opportunity to make a difference. And I think that no matter what position she's in, whether she is a treasury secretary mm-hmm. or whether she had been the vice um, president, which she won't be now, yeah. but like whatever, whatever happens, I believe Elizabeth Warren will still do the work to, well, because she's trying to make the country better. Cause that's what she cares about. She's work driven and, yeah. and not ego driven. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you need some level of ego to run for president and she's not a perfect person, but I think that like, 
for an American presidential candidate, Mm -hmm. she was sort of like, it was more put upon her than it was something she was striving for her whole life. And I've had a lot to do with people who are career politicians. And I'm not saying they're all bad people at all. Some people, some of the best people I know wanted to be in politics, but it's certainly for a lot of people who are like that, there's just a level of like ego in that that makes them bad leaders, in my opinion. Well, and the cynicism. And I mean, mm. this is where I think if if we look at Clarissa slash Saunders, mm. you know, as, as much as she knows everything, I think she might not be the, the best senator because she's too cynical when it comes to getting things done. And she's she's manipulating and twisting things for her own ends, which in this case are for good, but can so easily go the other way sometimes. Yeah. But as far as BSG goes, what was the president? Was she secretary of education? What was her? Yeah. yeah. She was she was the education. She was like the 45th in line or something ridiculous mm. or 44th in line. Like she was like way down the line. And I was rewatching the mini series and I was like, wow, this is just she's just such a great leader and her priorities were like, and I mean, look, she fucks up too. Like everybody fucks up. Right. But even like Adama who had been retired and sort of like ready to end that, like Mm -hmm. none of the people who were the leaders in the beginning of that were the people who, uh, who had like sought leadership. And then you kind of see the people who are seeking leadership are like Zarek and like Gaius Bolta. And those people are people who you can like clearly see are doing this for their ego and not for the good. You see the difference, right? And I think it all kind of comes to a head when Gaeta and Zarek team up who have very different motivations for the same cause Mm -hmm. and how that sort of plays out and how that kind of falls apart. I'm sorry. I know you probably haven't watched it all recently, but the difference in that is like Zarek is like the freedom fighter guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know who the characters are. Yeah. yeah I yeah. haven't seen it in a long um, time. But. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like you've got him who's like this and he's sort of manipulating Gator who who has genuinely good intentions and feels awful about everything. And so it's just like I think that that to me was like how do we how do we make this happen in real life? Like how can we just end up with leaders who are not – trying to be leaders. Well, I'll tell you, we need people. to go back to the ancient Greeks where they... Why? Let's um, tell me about ancient Greece. <laughs> they drew it by lot. You you had to do it, um, I think, for a year or two. Your name... Like jury duty. Yep. Your name gets drawn out of a hat. And all right, there you go. You have to be in charge of the government for a short period of time. But the issue is with this, I, um, in my time at Henley Club, had a lot to do with a bunch of politicians. And this is super Australian context, so I'm really sorry for all our listeners. And I'll try to give sort of uh, information as as whatever. So the person who I had the pleasure of meeting, actually, because she's lovely, is uh, Jackie Lambie, who is someone who is from Tasmania. She is super rough. She was a veteran but she is she's from a really low socioeconomic background she'd gone into the military she got an injury uh and wasn't able to go onto duty so she lost I think a lot of the veteran benefits but she was then Mm. also sort of disabled and I think something happened where she lost some benefit and she threw herself in front of a car and when she woke up in the hospital she said if I survive this I'm going to go into politics and she did and regardless of like, I don't agree with everything Jackie Lambie has said. I think she has some horrible opinions about Muslim people. I think she can be incredibly racist. I think that comes a lot from her uh, electorate and mm-hmm. where she's from. And and weirdly, one of her best friends in politics is a Muslim woman. So I don't yeah. know, like, 
why she does this. But what I will say is we need more people like her in politics, whether you agree with her or not. And something that she spoke about is the fact that she doesn't have a university education and she doesn't fit in with that group. I don't think she has a university education is that there was so much stuff that she didn't understand and no one helped her. And the media looked down on her and bullied her. And the people within the political parties looked down on her and bullied her. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in that room and, um, you know, Andrew had set me up in like, you know, they have the bit at the top and they have the same in the film where people from wherever can watch and they've always got school groups and all the things. And I was up in like the VIP section because I knew a politician. And he wrote me a message after and he said, I really just want to apologise that's really appalling. Like it was for question time. He's like, yeah. I want to apologize on behalf of my colleagues. And it is just such a horrible yeah. bullying place. Well, and politics has all of these rules, both written and unwritten. Mm. And yeah, okay. The written ones in Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He's learning it at the same t- time we are like, okay, you want to have a bill. Well, it needs to go to a committee and they talk about it. That like, people don't know that. Mm. Like they, I think a lot of people have no grasp with that whatsoever. And that's totally fine. And if you don't have a background in it, why would you know this? And then there's also all of the, you know, the unwritten rules of, well, you know, this, so my father was in politics for many years. And I mean, it's not, it's not quite this bad, but you know, there's certain restaurants that like, oh, well, this restaurant is where the Democrats go. And this restaurant Mm. is where Republicans go. I don't think that's true necessarily, but it's, it could easily be true and probably is to an extent of you know we sit over here don't talk to those people it is like a fucking school yeah yeah completely and I remember my dad saying at one point he was having dinner with some of his Republican buddies and there's a couple of Democrats sitting close by and he said hey do you guys want to come over and join our table and they were so shocked (laughs) but they all work together they have more in common than any other person on this planet and yet they pick apart these little tiny differences Mm. it it, it almost feels like the all the christians during the protestant reformation Mm. you know who who were literally killing each other over tiny little things of doctrine yeah and thinking they were so different politicians are very very similar in many ways absolutely i mean people love their tribes and they love their mm-hmm. in and out groups and you know there there's all kinds of psychological studies about this but at the same time there's what what what's the sorry never mind I was gonna go down a tangent let's just, go tangent no, no, I no, love no, tangents no. No, no, this no, podcast I, is like the tangent podcast tangent okay. away so there's a psychological theory that there's a certain number there's a magic number of people that you can remember the relationships between. And it's, I believe, between 170 and 200 people. Mm -hmm. That's correct. If we are looking at politicians, that's pretty much the amount of people that would be in the legislature. Mm -hmm. So they all know each other and they all know the relationships between one one another, have it memorized. Of course, then you add on layers of who the staffers are and Mm who the lobbyists are and all the other people that are making politics happen, but they all know each other. They all know each other pretty well. Mm. And then to come up with these little clicks and things is quite silly when they could all be working together. It's no, it's very, it's frustrating to watch because particularly with this movie where we have this beautiful, beautiful guy who then gets just downtrodden and run through the ringer to the point where he goes around and, punches random people (laughs) 
We need to I talk do. about that. I, I love that though, in a way, because it's like, it's, it's just, it's okay. So here's what it reminded me of. So coming from a family that was like pretty working class, right? What I would say is you don't learn that you're not supposed to like scream in an argument. And so that's like what like refined people do or like educated people do is like they like remove emotion from the conversation and then they kind of use that as a weapon against you if you're someone who's going to fight with emotion. And it took me so many years to untrain myself and I'm still really confronted now because if I talk to like my dad about politics and we disagree, like he will freaking start like yelling. Like that's Mm. how he responds. And then I respond like that as well. And sometimes I find that like, when I'm not like on the ball or if I have too many wines or whatever, that I can fall back into that. And so I thought that that was like a really amazing, like physical representation of that. Mm. Like I've never gone and punched a person, but like, it's sort of, if you don't know that you're like the educated debate is so classist. Yeah. And it's, was so good how they really physically demonstrated that where he's like, I'm just going to punch a bunch of people. Yes. So how it all happens is Jefferson Smith, he's there. He's the brand new baby Senator. All the media comes around and they start asking him questions like, Oh, your boy Ranger. Do you know how to make bird calls? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do, I can do this really cool bird call. And they take photos of him Mm. and then they mock him. Uh And it's, it's on the front page of every newspaper in the entire country he doesn't know this because he was coming from a genuine place. Mm. And then yeah, I guess the modern day equivalent would be the Daily Mail putting mm. putting up these horrible headlines. So he then reads this and then goes on a, a rampage as only Jimmy Stewart can. <laughs> Wild eyes, the hair, the hair comes out. Um, it's amazing. He has kind of a sort of, I would say, 90s Leonardo DiCaprio oh sort of moment. Oh my God, I was thinking that too. Romeo and Juliet in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just goes around punching random passersby. And then he, and then he finds some media guys. And of course, word has kind of gotten around by this point, they see him and they start running and he starts chasing and he chases them to their lair and they crowd around him and sit down so that he has to listen to them. And they kind of come to a detente in a way where he exactly his emotions are running high and then they all start saying super super cynical things back to him and eventually I don't necessarily think that they are on the same side nor should they be because they are media and they don't need to and they're there for a reason to help put a check on on all of these egotistical graft loving politicians Mm. but at least in Jefferson Smith's case they no longer necessarily put up headlines about him. But of course, we don't know what... One of the things I love about the movie is that it ends so incredibly abruptly. Mm-hmm. There is no payoff. There is no scene where you suddenly see him. There's uh, you know, this beautiful vista of some Western valley with a little creek running through it with all these young boys. There's none of that. We don't know. It, it might not ever actually come to fruition. Or maybe he actually invites little girls to come Mm. and do stuff. How about that? The only women we see in this entire film Mm. is the beautiful Glamazon, his mother back home, who I don't even know if she has a line, and then Saunders. And the the sheer amount of men in this movie. It's wild. 
it's quite astonishing looking at all of the senators. Everyone in that entire room. All white guys. Yes. They do have, I was actually really surprised they had any black characters at all. But mm. it's like the guys who take this, their stuff at the train station. Yes, the porters. And then they're holding on to them for so long. And then at some point they're like, fuck this. And they hand them to the white guys and they run away. And I was like, yes, I love this for you. Like you have like barely any lines, but like they're in the background, like visibly uncomfortable because yeah. they're not even seen as fucking people. And then one of the boys who was doing the newspapers was mm-hmm. also black. And I thought yeah. that was really beautiful too. And really unexpected. Cause I just, I was sort of expecting it to be all white. And even though the black representation is not great, it was better than I thought it would be. Well, and then the other, what I thought was very moving moment was again with Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Where, oh, yes, that's right. It was a black guy in that scene exactly. as well. Exactly. So there's there's mm. a, a black man reading the uh, the Gettysburg Address and there's, you know, you, Jefferson kind of glances at him because mm. this, is, this is the guy who, again, wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, mm. has a very special place in everyone's heart because of it. And I thought that was a very cool moment. And yeah, look, Capra can be heavy handed, but I like those moments where <laughs> I think that the representation of black people in this film for 1939 is like pretty good. I mm-hmm. like it's the bar was low, but it true. It overstepped my bar of expectation. Well, they weren't they weren't caricatures. Mm. And thinking about Gone with the Wind in the same year. Which I haven't the, seen. Oh goodness. I'm okay. so sorry. And also, wow. I don't know, like, how I... See, because here's the thing. is like, I didn't really grow up with this. Like, I I saw a lot of... I saw some Marilyn Monroe movies. I saw a lot mm-hmm. of musicals. I think you're really, like, informed by what your parents show you, right? My Absolutely. parents were super young. So my, my dad is only 20 years older than I am. My stepmom's only 15 years older than I am. So, like, I get along super well with Gen X. Because I'm like, go. that's my whole education. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't watch a lot of old movies because I guess like in their 20s, they didn't really watch a lot of old movies. Like there yeah. were some that we watched, but mostly not. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting for me because my mom, for whatever reason, has always been very, very into cinema. So mm. I grew up on a farm. So did both of my parents, <laughs> you know, all four of my grandparents. So farm, 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 farm. But yet my mom was either renting movies or ordering the VHS tapes. Mm. So I grew up watching tons of these absolute classics like High Noon and a lot of His Girl Friday and It Happened One Night. Mm. All of these were on like heavy rotation at my house. Marilyn Monroe movies I have seen. To Kill a Mockingbird, and I've read it as well. And I've seen Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite films. And they're like the main old movies that I remember, aside from like musicals. So like Singing in the Rain and like Showboat and all of those. Um, We didn't watch like, and I mean, I think about this now. It's kind of wild. We didn't watch a lot of TV. We had like a half hour day limit and then occasional movies. We read books. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. And even then we didn't necessarily read classics all the time. I read like a lot of like, murder mystery thriller okay. stuff because that's what my stepmom read but like we we would sit in the living room sorry be a burp <laughs> we would sit in the living room and we would all just silently read books and i'm like Amazing. oh this is why i'm an introvert <laughs> so we just hey. didn't have noise in our house <laughs> i'm an extrovert who reads lots of books so no but i mean like our house was like we never it's different now. Like when I go home now, my parents almost always have the TV on. But when I was growing up, the TV was never on. Yeah, yeah. It was like the TV was on. We watched Home and Away in primary school. And then in high school, we watched like 
Malcolm in the middle together. But like mm. for the most part, the TV was off and we were reading books or we were like doing other things. And I'm I'm really grateful for that. My sisters watched a lot of Disney Channel. They're a lot younger than I am. Yeah. Um, and it was just like a very different upbringing. But I think it was like the time, the, the youth of my parents probably like – they were like, yeah, we're still young enough to like raise kids and read. Amazing. Whereas now they're like, have their other kids and the kids are older and they're just like, fuck this, watch TV. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember at one point my brother and I had friends over from high school and we wanted to watch, I think it was, it would have been Casablanca. And some of them had never seen a black and white movie before. I in have their seen lives. Casablanca. Also, I did go through an Elvis phase with a oh, friend God. of mine from school who was the grade above me. I actually took her to my formal. And um, she and I would have like Elvis movie marathon days. Wow. So I've seen a lot of Elvis films. Okay. God, I've never seen one. <laughs> That's- Kissing Cousins is the one that like goes into my mind. I'm pretty sure there's like a duplicate of Elvis. I can't remember. It was so long ago, but like my grandparents were really into Elvis. And then, and actually I sang Love Me Tender at her funeral. And cause I used to love Can't Help Falling in Love and her and my grandpa, their first dance was to Love Me Tender. Aww. And so um, I think that there was like a we bought the, the CD for my grandma's car or the tape for my grandma's car. And then I would watch Elvis and listen to Elvis with my grandma. Cute. Yeah. So Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, they're my two like old. Well, well, one of the things that I started this year in the you know times of ISO, I mean, mm. we've been lucky in Sydney in that we've never gotten so much on lockdown as you guys have, mm. but realizing that there isn't much going on and also it's winter what can I do? Like Friday nights, they're, they're kind of a dead zone for me at the best of times. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to have much going on. I have tons of stuff after work normally. And on Saturday nights and Friday, never much going on. So starting to do a series of classic movies with friends, movies that we've never seen. So we started off with a musical bent where we watched Cabaret, mm-hmm. we watched some like it hot, yes. um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And mm-hmm. then Tomorrow night, yeah. watching Dr. Zhivago. Oh, nice. I don't think I've seen Dr. Zhivago. I have not seen that one. I've seen all the other ones, but this is this is exciting because it's not stuff that we would normally watch. Can I, mean, I throw in an old movie re- like request for you 100%. to watch? hundred uh, percent. Battle of Algiers. Oh, have you seen it? I've heard of it. I've never seen it. It is in French, but the director is Italian. It's set in Algeria, and it is all about the Algerian terrorist group, whose name I forget, who um, won independence from the French. And so it's all about, like, they really, like, break down, like, the terrorist cells of, like, how terrorist groups used to function. Now it's more a lot of lone wolves, and we can talk about terrorism another time. But, like, basically they, like, break down the structure of how, like, the terrorist organization worked and, like, how they found them by like picking off people it's it's really really good watch battle of the algiers okay. and all our listeners watch battle of algiers it's really great movie well and that's something that i love is just getting over this fear of old movies that a lot of people have that oh they're going to be boring they're not boring no. they can be really fucking funny yeah i mean i think that for me like i know as someone who studied opera and tried to watch a lot of opera, I found that a lot of the themes were very outdated and like 
colonialist or sexist mm-hmm. or like racist or whatever. Like, there's a lot of things that are problematic when you're watching older things. I was very surprised with this film that it was not as sexist or racist as I thought it could be. <laughs> yeah, but uh, one another like writer that I've gotten into recently is Molia, and actually like that's another author whose themes are still incredibly relevant. Mm. and who is still really amazing but that's more like live theater and it's like French and uh, yes I think I'm trying to think I think I've only read um of course in an English translation Tartuffe of course Tartuffe so I saw I saw a performance of Tartuffe and it was really amazing they did uh Tartuffe online and it was incredible and it was awesome to see them trying to like move into the new age but like Mm -hmm. the words are so good that it's like it's a like doing this Sappho podcast and thinking about the importance of translation and actually what was really amazing about watching it online is they had the French written underneath and so you could see how the English like my French is not that good but it's good enough to know like what it like largely differs from the translation and like looking at that and um, yeah, I don't know. I just love Molia. Like everybody just like get into Molia. I didn't know I loved it so much, but they also made it really relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement. And I thought that was really fucking cool. Like I just thought it was one of the best things I've watched in, in quarantine. That's so cool. I'm and almost finished my second beer, by the way, in case you can't tell. I think one of the things, and we mentioned this at the start of this little podcast app, is that there are these themes that keep coming around and something from 80 years ago, still very relevant, something from 280 years ago, still very relevant. And in a way that's good, in a way it's bad. Look, I'm doing like a freaking podcast on Sappho. So relevant. So much of what she says is so relevant and it's wild to look at these things and just be like, you just like, you're listening to her and you're like, you have this window into what her life was like. And she's like the first person who in, you know, I guess Greek literary tradition who really did that. Like people talked Mm. about stuff, but like she talked about her experience and what was important to her, what was important to the women around her. And like, I think one of the guys is saying, it's like, when I read her in Greek, I feel like I'm there. And And that's what, yeah, what feels so immediate about her is her anguish and her longing and her Mm. love Mm. and it coming down through thousands of years. and yet. We still relate so well to art her. Art is so important. I just like my biggest takeaway from lockdown is how important art is. I just, it's amazing. Well, it is because you need to be um, entertained in, you know, the most basic sense of the word. Um, we need stuff to watch and to read, but also it's a mirror to mm. us Popular and our own experience. Cultures. And this is where I'm a huge fan of celebrity gossip. And I now having read enough of it long enough. I refuse to be shamed by this because celebrity gossip, it's a mirror to what we find important, what we talk about and how we talk about it Mm -hmm. says so much about our own culture and our own beliefs. And it's no different women reading about actors and actresses than men following sports stars. And who's getting traded to which team? Watching the documentary about the Chicago Bulls on Netflix, that's gossip. Mm-hmm. We're gossiping about people we don't know, that we're never going to meet, and what their lives are like and what their work lives are like. And mm-hmm. that is no different than talking about somebody in the fashion industry or someone in the entertainment business. Or a politician. But that too. Pol- politics is this whole own sport. It's all this wild thing. And I think that. Um, for me, that's what I fucking love about pop culture podcasts. It's just like they, I feel the same way about pop culture as it holds a mirror to society. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like 
I've been on a date with someone. I think I saw Jurassic World, very lovely man. And I walked out and I was like, well, you know, the representation of people of color was kind of good, but it was really like tokenistic. And then the woman's like whole character arc was basically that she started the movie as a businesswoman and ended the movie wanting to have kids. And I don't know how I feel about that. Plus she read it out in high heels the whole time. And he was like, it's Jurassic World. I don't think you're meant to think about it that much. And I'm like, okay, well, that's us done then. Like, of course Mm. you should. Because that movie informs people how to think about things. Mm -hmm. And that's what popular culture does. And that's why it's so important. Yeah, consciously or unconsciously. Well, yeah, it's it's often unconscious. Affecting us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, well, do you have anything more you want to say about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? I think it's a really fun movie to watch right now Mm -hmm. in the depths of American politics being the worst they've been in living memory because it it's such a nice contrast Mm. so it's not it's not shying away from the fact that there's you know insiders and outsiders and not everyone knows things it's pretty true to life but Mm. having that beacon of hope and that optimism that stuff can be changed I love it it yeah. actually made me really happy and excited about politics for the first time in a very long while. That's really beautiful. One thing that I didn't mention, the only thing I didn't mention, this is not as beautiful or profound as what you said, but there are two phone tree scenes in this movie and I really appreciated them and they were also very legally blonde. So that's my final thought because I just went through my notes to see if I'd said everything I wanted to say and that's the only thing I didn't. But also... The children are our future, to quote um, Whitney Houston. Uh, So, yeah, that still remains relevant too, apparently. Anyway, Teresa, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Where can people find you? I am online. I'm on the Twitter. I'm on the Instagram at Desiderata. So it's a shortening of Desiderata, which is an amazing poem. So it's D-E-S-D-R-A-T-A. So give me a little follow. and I'll include it in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Teresa's like New Year's resolution, I think, was to be on more podcasts. And thank you for helping keep my dream going. Yeah. So if you have a podcast, <clears throat> I know some of our listeners do, um, then maybe you should invite Teresa to join you because she's I smart love talking. has great opinions and she loves to chat. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. And we will see, I don't even know what month this is going to be hitting your ears, but we'll see you next time for another, probably really random conversation about another movie that's completely unlike this one. Fabulous. See you later.